he's been a team leader. He's been a broker owner. He's been an appraiser. He knows a lot about a lot of things, but we are throwing him on the hot seat today. And we're calling this thing, Ask an Appraiser Anything. Agent Power Huddle is a daily jumpstart, giving you all the tools you need to create an amazing real estate career. Led by top experts in the field, you'll learn how to sell more houses in less time while creating the life you want. Welcome to the Agent Power Huddle. Happy Friday, everyone. How are you feeling? I got like one or two. Yeah, there we go. There's lots of thumbs up. I like it. It's funny. So we, we released, guys, by the way, we released the uh, Agent Power Huddle now as a podcast. It is on iTunes and Spotify. So check it out. But it's funny. I was listening back to the, some of the recordings and I'm so used to seeing it on video. And there's these pauses where I can tell that like whoever is the host is talking to people, but you can't see anything. So it's like, I'm sure people on the screen are doing something. It's funny taking something on video and turning it into a podcast. But overall, it works. Right. So check it out. And today, we got a guest host who is incredible. I don't know how many of you guys have ever met Don Mowry, but if you haven't met him, turn your camera on and say hello to our guest host, Don Mowry. Don, how are you feeling, dude? Good morning. Happy Friday. So let, can, I brag right. about you? can I brag about you for a minute in case people don't know you? Sure. This is going to make Don blush. Don is not this type of guy at all. So Don has been an appraiser for many, many years and appraised thousands of houses. He's also been a real estate broker for many years and sold thousands of houses. He's probably, have you appraised more houses than you've sold? What do you think? Yeah, probably because of 30 years of doing appraisals. So 30 years of appraisal. are doing 8,000 appraisals a month. I wasn't doing eight, my company was. Um, so, you know, we were doing a lot. <laughs> so so he, he's both, a, he's been a team leader. He's been a broker owner. He's been an appraiser. And he also was a, a, a Tom Ferry Elite Plus coach for a while. So he, he knows a lot about a lot of things, but we are throwing him on the hot seat today. And we're calling this thing, Ask an Appraiser Anything. So yes. if you've ever had a question for an appraiser and you're like, man, I just want to know this. This is the safe space to ask. Is this the circle of trust on? Yes, Absolutely. All right, cool. Yeah. And we, we might talk about uh, something about comparable selection. Even if you are an incredibly experienced agent and you've sold a bunch of homes, I guarantee there's still some things you can learn here from Don. And if you are a newer agent, there are absolutely things you can learn. Um, every time I listen to Don, I learn something. So where, where do you want to where do you want to start it off, Don? Well, I mean, we always talk about lead generation, lead conversion, mindset, which are is great. I mean, we, we're working on those skills, but you know, we're also not working on some maybe things like for a CMA or how, what we should bring to an appraisal or how to choose our comps for our CMA. And so my goals are two things, really one to help you do better comp selections for your CMAs. Also to give you some tools when you meet with the appraiser and then also open up to any questions that you have about appraisals. So that's, that's really my three goals for us today. As I love it. Love it. All right, let's let's rock. Okay, Don. Question one. Yes. Does solar add value to a house? So um, that's going to depend. There's two types. One is if it's a a lease a leased solar, right? You don't own it, correct? It's a UCC filing on your prelim title report. So what happens is, as an appraiser, I cannot give any value to a solar system that is not that is not owned. So to answer your question, if it's leased and not owned, the answer is I can give zero value to it. If you own it outright, then yes, I, I give value to it. Does that answer your question? Meaning own it, it's paid off or, paid off. or, 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 or you're making payments? It has to be paid off. It has to be paid off. Paid off. In yeah. Interesting. What happens okay. is even if you don't have it paid off, Right, it's still going to show usually as a UCC filing on the title report that there's a lien, and therefore we can't. They don't really own it, and then what happens if they don't make that payment? Then they come and get it. They'll come and take it off the roof. So Fannie Mae and FHA says we can only give value to it if they own it, and so that's usually what we do. And it, it's very unique because when I bought my solar system, I have Tesla, which used to be Solar City. I thought it would add value to my house, but the buyers sometimes go, look, I'm paying a million dollars for this house. The solar system is 30 grand. I'm paying a million 30. 
So the buyer's looking at it as a kind of a, as a liability or negative. And then the seller's like, well, look, my, my electric bill is only, you know, $199 a month because I'm locked in at this rate. And so the sellers are looking at it as an asset and the buyers are looking at it as a liability unless it's paid off. That makes sense? Oh, totally. And I look at that as a pain in the butt. <laughs> it took me three months to close the Tesla just to get them to respond or do anything. Tesla's one of the better ones. <laughs> Question. Oh go, go ahead, Don. What if it's going to be paid off during escrow? Well, then if it's, if it's going to be paid off in escrow, then that's something you should let the appraiser know. So I recommend when you show up to an appraisal inspection, you're going to sometimes know more than the appraiser. Let's be honest, right? You're going to know more about that neighborhood, more about that home than maybe the appraiser is going to, right? And so when you show up to your inspection, I recommend that you bring a couple different things. One, I, I, I recommend bringing a copy of the contract and the counteroffers. I can't tell you how many times that I either I've done an appraisal or that the uh, an agent shows up and they don't bring me the counteroffer. So I think the contract price is $500,000, but the contract price was 525 and no one told me. Right? Because the lender, the AMC, never got me the counteroffer. Correct? If there's any permits, there's permitted additions or additions. Bring me a copy of those permits. That's going to help me out tremendously. Correct? And then also, if you have any recent upgrades, like, you know, new windows, remodel kitchens, you know, or plumbing or something I can't see, if you just bring me a list of upgrades, and let me just share my report with you. Let me share my screen. How recent is recent? How recent is recent? That's a great question here. I'll, I'll okay. answer that question. So can you see my screen? This right, my printer. Sure right can. Here? So in here, obviously I'm gonna have additional features. And in here we're gonna talk about what upgrades they've had. And so when I say recent, I like to say within the last 10 years. Okay? So within the last 10 years, and then also the condition of the improvements. So I'm going to put in here um, the condition of the improvements and conditions like buckets. Imagine a big or baskets. It's called baskets. A C1 condition is a brand new home, never lived in. A C2 home is just like brand new, correct? But someone's living it. Everything's new. There's very little deferred maintenance. It's a newer home. A C3 home is like, hey, some components of the home have been upgraded but not everything. So maybe they have a remodel kitchen and they have a new AC, they have new windows, but the bathrooms haven't been upgraded, correct? And then a C4 is like, look, the home's been maintained in, in, in condition, but no recent upgrades. And then a C5 is like, look, there's significant deferred maintenance that's impacting the livability of the home. So when I meet with an appraiser, I like to write on notes on my comps and say, hey, this home's inferior in condition, doesn't have any recent upgrades. Here's my comp, right? And I give that to them. But before, I really want to share something with you today because I want you to come away with some tools. I want you to come away with some knowledge that's really going to help you out that I see a lot of agents make mistakes on. And if you look at this form, and I've talked about this once before, but you see all these items on here that the appraiser has to look at these grids. And it, obviously, what is the most important item when selecting your comparable cells? You want to answer the question? Nobody on my team can answer it that's on this call. Repeat the question. What is the most important factor when you're selecting your comparable cells for your CMA or for an appraiser? What's the most uh, important factor? Time frame. Close within a short period of time. Square footage and lot size. What was the first one you said, Luigi? Square footage and lot size. Okay. So Luigi gets a C minus. When did it when did it close? <laughs> time. Location. Location. Okay. So, you know, I hear time, I hear location. Age. And so let's talk about location for a minute. And I want you to think about this in your mindset. So if I have a home that closed on the same street as my property, correct, as a comp, 
And I have another comp that's two streets down. That one closed last week. But the one on my street closed two years ago. Which one's the better comp? Two weeks ago. Time. So when you're looking at this form, you'll notice that it's it, the form is done from top being the most important to the bottom being the least important. So picking on Luigi, he said square footage or gross living area, and that's in the middle. Well, 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 I'm going I'm to defend Luigi because he was the first one to venture a guess, so I give him an A just for being the first person to guess. I'm just teasing him because I know him, and I'm just, <laughs> I love him, and I'm just picking up. I thought so, I got an A for just showing up. You got an A for showing up. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my trophy? But, but, that, but, that's really, but that's really interesting, Don. I, I've never realized that. So, so they put the most important stuff at the top of the form. Yeah. So number one is cash or cash equivalency, right? And, and we don't really know what, what's cash equivalency. That means it's sold for cash or cash like terms. They didn't barter. They didn't trade. They didn't, you know, do something, you know, it's a cash or cash like terms. Mm -hmm. And the next is time and then location and then fee simple versus leasehold, then lot size. And it goes all the way down the bottom, you know, to the, to, so you'll see like right here's energy efficient items. That's where solar would go. That's clear down here at the bottom third. So when you go to do your comp selection, you should automatically start thinking about, okay, the location, the time, the lot size, the age, and then get down to your score photo comps. Does that make sense? So just think of that when you start picking your comps. The other big mistake, or not mistake, but challenge a lot of times that agents don't consider is seller concessions. Do you see where I'm making these deductions? This is because the seller paid some of the buyer's closing costs. And so when they go and do their comp selection and they go and they look at this comp, they say, oh, this home sold for $400,000. My home's worth $400,000, but they forgot to look at the MLS and said, oh, the seller paid $10,000 of the buyer's closing costs. I'm going to deduct that out as an appraiser. So just be mindful of that if that helps you out, okay? Um, Let's see, one other item too that I want to bring up and then we go to questions is that a lot of times agents do not verify zoning, okay? 90% of the time you're going to be okay. 90% of the time when you go out to take a listing or price a property, you're going to be okay. It's that 10% of the time that you didn't check and the property was rezoned to commercial or industrial. And I just did a report and let me just show you and then we'll get into questions. So this particular report here, I just ran it. It's a lender deal refinance and the property happens to be zoned commercial office commercial. It's a house. It's been there. It's what it looks like, right? It's what it looks like. Street looks like all homes. Where but, are you? Where are you doing uh, appraisals? By the way, Don's in Southern California. Where are you doing appraisals where there's snow on the ground, Don? I'm confused. Bear Valley. There you go. All right, just checking. So I hope that those those if I you can walk away with two things today: the comp selection and also the zoning. Check your zoning. It's very important. If you're if you're on a particular property, you see commercial properties or industrial properties, check your zoning. Okay, questions, fire away. We've got a question in the chat box. Hold on guys, Andrew, I'm coming to you next. So the one first question in the chat box here from Janice says, so location is more important than how long ago the home sold? No, the opposite, time is more important. Time, the time and location are, because you can say location is um, next door to the subject, but it sold three years ago. Another comp is two blocks away, but it sold last week. Time is going to be more critical than location, but both are very important. Does that make sense? Love it. Andrew, you had a question? Yeah, two questions. Townhouses. I have townhouses that back up to each other or townhouses that have common area between the two. I think the common area is more valuable because if you have to cut your grass, you're not going through your your house with the grass. The appraiser told me, find me every single property that was more money, then I'll give you the credit. 
Does that make sense? Or no? So you're saying you have, let's talk about, let's first of all talk about a townhouse. Is townhouse a legal form of ownership or it's an architectural style? Legal form of ownership, be simple. Well, I, no, a townhouse is the architectural style. There's basically three types of ownership in, in single family dwelling. There's an SFR, single family dwelling. You own the land and the improvements, right? The next is a PUD, a plan unit development. And you mm -hmm. own the land, the improvements, and an interest in the common area, correct? Right. And then the next third or the third is a condominium. In a condominium, you own the space between the walls, right? And an interest in the common area. So when we talk about townhouses, townhouses are architectural style, not a form of legal ownership. So when we're looking at comps, the appraiser saying to you is like, look, I need to demonstrate that this additional common area gives me value. Correct? So right? Is that what you're telling me, correct? So like the That's pool? Uh, so let's just, so let's, so when I look at, so if I have a comp and a comp that has a bigger or larger common area that they have exclusive right to possession to use. No, 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 that's not a question. So there's common area, so you have your backyard, common area, then the other property. So if you had to cut your grass in the backyard, you can go outside to the common area and then go to the street. Other properties have no common area, meaning it backs up to another townhouse. So if you cut your grass, you have to bring That's it to your house question. to the street. Yeah, so that would be probably what under a location or a view, a view adjustment. So, I, I mean, again, that's convenience. That would be very, very difficult to demonstrate unless you had recent similar comps. But I would throw that underneath. Like, if you're telling me, it sounds to me like you're telling me like one backs up really close to a – another townhouse and this other yeah, one has this nice common area yeah, i would probably throw that underneath the view adjustment if it's got a better okay. view or i might throw that underneath the location adjustment and say hey this one has more of a of a park view or more of a a, a common area view and put it underneath the view adjustment does that make wait, sense? wait wait don you don't have one that's for for um make the adjustment if the data is there to prove that the market will pay more money for that Change. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking for a comp that has, so you'll notice here, there's two things that we talk about in appraisals, two vocabulary words. I know I'm giving you a lot of technical stuff. It's Friday. Jacqueline Riker's looking at me like, what is he talking about? So you, so you'll see this, you see my property here, zone CFCO, right? I had to find a comp that was zone CFCO, a commercial right? So I want to bracket or match. When I say match, I've got, if my property has a view, I need to have a comp with a view. Does that make sense? If my, and then I want to bracket. Bracket means that you'll notice here that my subject's 941 square feet. I want a comp that's either smaller or equal to or greater than. So I want to make sure that I have a comp that's bigger, smaller and similar to my property. Plus, I have a three-bedroom, one-bath. I'm trying to find a comp that has a three-bedroom, one-bath. That's called matching, right? There's matching and bracketing. So when you bring me that comp and you say, hey, this is a view, again, it's very subjective at that point in time. And you're, if you don't have the data, you don't demonstrate that appraiser. You just say, well, this one has X. Well, show it to me. Bring me that data and show it to me. When you're talking about square footage and a little more, a little less, what is the little range? Normally 15 to 20%, right? Normally. But let me, let me just show you how complex this is. This is why appraisals are so frustrating to agents because the lender, like we have a couple different guidelines. One is the use path, the uniform standards of professional appraisal practices. Then I have Fannie Mae guidelines on top of that. Then I might have lender overrides on top of that. What happens if, what happens here, if this particular property had say five acres, correct? My, my, my square foot range here might be huge because if this is five acres, 
my buyer seller is not really concerned much, so much about the square, maybe the square foot of the home. They're really looking at five acre horse properties. So my square foot might be as much as 50% difference because realistically, most of the value and utility is in the fact that this is a five acre lot and it's horse properties, right? And so my, 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 my comp search is going to be much wider. Does that make sense? How would you, <clears throat> in the example that you've given, where you have a much smaller home with much more acreage, comparing to a larger home with smaller uh, property, is there a ratio or something that makes them equal that, do you know what I'm trying to ask? Yeah. So how do you come, how do you derive your adjustments? Is that what you're asking me? How am I making Correct. adjustments? Yeah. Okay. So there's, there's two ways. One, and it, since we're all in different markets, like Austin, Texas, and I see uh, Nate Jones there from Austin. And I always use this example. Number one, first you have to ask you what price range are you in? Are you in a, are you in a million dollar market? Are you in a hundred thousand dollar market? There's no specific adjustment, right? You can't say, well, you know, this house has a two car garage and this one has a three car garage and it's always going to be 10,000 bucks. Correct. Let's, for those of you who know Newport beach, California, the average home on a waterfront home is probably between five and 10 million bucks. Right. And if you're in Newport beach, California, and the lot sizes are like teeny, like 3,000, 4,000 square foot lot sizes. And then you're going to be driving a what? Probably a Lambo, Bentley, you know, something, you know, a two or three, four hundred thousand, maybe a seven hundred thousand dollar car, correct? And you got a two car garage versus a three car garage. Now, if, if you know Newport Beach, California, everyone's riding their bikes and their salt water and people are having drinks and having a good time at two o'clock in the morning, do you want your five hundred thousand dollar car sitting on the street or would you rather have it sitting in the garage? Now, how much are you going to pay for that additional garage? $200,000? $400,000? let us take that same analogy. Let's go to Austin, Texas. And I don't know Austin, Texas. But let's say it's a $300,000 house. And you're going to say, well, I got a two-garage versus a three-car garage. What's going to be the difference? It's not going to be $100,000, correct? So $5,000 is what I put. <laughs> How much? 5000 It depends. I mean, it, it depends. So first start with your price range. What price range am I at? How much would it cost if you can? And then you got to look at the comps and say, well, what are the comps you're going to do? Now, I go a little bit more technical because I'm running regression analysis. So if you see my screen, this is telling me that the average price per square foot adjustment is somewhere between 93 and 225. The meat, the model slope is $159 per square foot. The site, this is a little, this doesn't make sense. So I had to look at it on this report, but also it'll give me some, how much this one doesn't have a lot of garages, but I'm looking, I'm running data to say how much more a bathroom would give on this home. Now I have an appraiser. I have to take a look. This one's not great because the data is not great. But I'll show you another one. Let me look at another one. Maybe I have better data. And as an appraiser, I have to look and make a decision whether that data is correct or not. So we're running regression analysis to look at the to look at the numbers what we should be at. You actually have a software that does that. <clears throat> yeah. So this one's probably more spot on with lot size. It's probably about three bucks a square foot. This one's probably going to be closer. This one's a little high for the garage. I wouldn't make 59 grand adjustment, but we're looking at data and slope. If I have lots of data, my data is correct. If, my, if I don't have a lot of data, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of sales comps, the data is not going to be very good. Does that make so, sense? Yep. And, right. and by the way, for everyone typing questions into the, the chat box, we'll get to a few of these if we have time, but there's some really good questions in here, Don. And maybe what we'll do is I'll just have Zach work with you and we can shoot some separate little videos to answer. Like Yuki just asked a really interesting question. Can you show an example? If I'm looking at a second home, it comes with personal items, you know, furniture, art, everything in the house. There's some really cool detailed questions here. Um, I know this is a pretty heavy, uh, a pretty heavy, uh, 
topic for Friday morning, but is this useful for you guys? Are you learning something? Raise your hand if you're like, yes. Okay. I love it. I'm watching everyone's body language, Don. Their bodies are like collapsing under the weight of the knowledge, but they're actually getting something good. <laughs> That's what I'm afraid of. I don't want to make it too, too heavy, but I well, want well, here's, to fun. <laughs> it, well, here's, here's a fun question before we got a few more minutes. I, I want to ask this one question that Debbie asked. Everybody sit up in your chair a little bit. We got four minutes. Here's a fun one. So I'm assuming this is as a listing agent what, or maybe for the seller, but what are the top five things that you can do to increase your appraisal value? So kitchens and baths are number one, always kitchens and baths. Um, and then when the appraiser comes, I mean, obviously I don't look at personal property, correct? I'm not looking, but kitchen bath remodels are number one that we're looking for. Um, if you have um, deferred maintenance, so I'm looking for deferred maintenance. Like if you have, um, you know, you know, if it's built prior to 1978, filling and chipping paint, that's going to impact it. Um, if you have uh, unpermitted addition, sometimes they'll impact it. But worse is when they take a, a room and they convert it. So they take a, a room, a three-bedroom house sometimes, and convert it to a two-bedroom house. And they make the living rooms, you know, they modify the floor plan. That'll impact the value. Um, so those particular items I, I'm really looking for, but kitchens and baths are number one things that we're looking for as appraisers. Remodel kitchens and baths. You want to add value, you know, nice coat of paint, kitchens and baths, get rid of the deferred maintenance, make sure you have um, your smoke detectors, carbon monoxide detectors, filling and chipping paint prior to 78. Those are things I'm looking for. I love it. All I can say is I'm just glad we're not he held to the same standards as an appraiser. <laughs> well, well, that, well, I, mean, I got a ratio here that I mean I've been using it for years and years and years what like is that? well square footage and figuring out the difference value between the square footage what I do is I take the square footage price and if it's under if it's a hundred dollars or less I divide it by three and use that number for the difference of square footage. If it's over $100 a square foot, I divide it by four, and I use that as the square footage figure for, for the difference in square footage. Yeah, so agents so agents use square footage a lot to make their, uh, make their assessment. And let me just tell you why appraisers don't do that. Let's just say you have a house that's 2,000 square feet on a 10,000 square foot lot, and it's sold whatever for, you know, 100 bucks a square foot or whatever, 200 bucks a square foot. And you take, you take another 2,000 square foot and it has two acres. Is that going to come up with the price, the same price per square foot? After? Yeah, but that's just another figure that you have to right. figure so, in. That's just another thing that you're doing the difference so, in, in the lot. When we're looking at it, I know we're running out of time. So when I'm looking at, you know, the report, the square foot, and, and here I'll put, I'll put my screen up. I know we're running out of time here. Uh, So you can see my screen. Yep. You see this says 228, 258. That's the price per square foot. But I'm only adjusting here at $70 per square foot for the house. $7? 70. 70. Okay. Right? And that's because so this number here, the this price includes the lot size. So I'm adjusting both for the lot size and for the gross linear. This one includes both. So you're so not separating at the 70. lot value. So you don't separate the lot value out, make the adjustment on square footage, and then add it back into a lot value adjustment or an yeah, adjustment. So I gotta make a lot adjustment, then a gross living area adjustment. So that's what, but I do look at this, you know, to see where I'm at. But most of the time I'm I'm looking at the lot and the square footage. So you can see my price per square foot, but then you can see I'm making adjustments here for right. the size of the home. Well, Don, I mean, this is the, the end of the session, but someone just asked, can we go over? I mean, you got so many people saying this is great information. Thank you for I'll doing stay. this. I can stay. Yeah, yeah if, you want, if you want to hang for a few minutes, Don, I mean, really, guys, I just want to be respectful for everyone's time if you blocked off 30 minutes for this, but if you want to stay and hang, Don will continue to... Uh, Gum will continue to explain uh, for a few minutes. We'll have him back on here again. We can do it. Ask me anything. We can have him answer specific videos. Uh, make sure you check out the podcast. Right? If you do check out the podcast, leave us a nice review. Or subscribe or something that'll help us out we totally appreciate it uh but yeah don thank you this is so good this morning so so good don awesome. i'm gonna i'm gonna turn it over to don this is all you dude <laughs> all right i'll stick on i got about 
uh, 15 more minutes I can stick on. So oh. I think Jesse's got to run. So you going to stay on Jesse? I'm going to jump over to, the, to our, our other Friday morning webinar. So you, uh, okay, I'll stay on for 15. Yeah. I'll stay on for 15 more. And then we can always come back. Go ahead. Anyone fire away. And, and check the chat box also, Don. There's a few right. in the chat box as well. Links to chat videos. So VS views of area, what podcast I'm looking here. Is a lot more valuable, usable to build more property? Answer, yes. So I'm looking at slope and usability a lot. So if I have a lot that's on a super 45-degree slope and one that's flat, I absolutely take that into consideration. Um, let's see here. I'm looking at who else has questions. Curious pool. Oh, what the present. Curious, Don, when you have to come up against praisers in your listings, those folk guys are so much in trouble. Anybody else? Have, what questions do you have? So if you're setting, Don, if you're setting the market, yeah. you know, you're the highest price that's happened in the neighborhood. Showing, providing the other offers is enough for you to make the case for the higher price. So if you, you know, bring me all the offers, the appraisal report, the intended user is the lender. It's not the buyer. It's not the seller. Your intended user is the mortgage company. The definition of market value is based upon the, the most probable price between a willing buyer and seller. If the property had been on the market, had been, I'm going to emphasize, had been on the market for a reasonable exposure time. Okay. So when we're looking, is my, are you, am I live or am I screen, is my screen up? You're live. So if you're looking at a time frame, I'm looking at past data in the last 90 days to determine the opinion about value. An agent considers marketing time. So let me just explain that. Exposure time, marketing time. So the agents in an upward market, an increasing market, are always going to be higher than the appraiser usually. Does that make sense? And then on vice versa, in a declining market, the appraiser is usually going to be higher than maybe the agents. Well, I can't sell for that. Prices are going down. It's not because we're, it's not because we're, we're not using the same data. It's just the definition of time is different. Does that make sense? So when you're, when you're looking at that, you can, the appraiser can make a time adjustment here. Okay. So let me show you a tool. I don't know how many of you have this in your MLS in California. I'm going to give you a little trick. Call it 1004MC. Okay. Oops, we got a listing there. So I'm going to show you a quick little search of a neighborhood. Come on. And I'm going to show you. So I'm going to go back a year. I need to go back one year for 1004MC. So let's just take a look at this particular neighborhood. I'm going to pull up a subdivision that has a lot of homes that are similar. Oh, I need to show you my screen. Sorry. I'm pulling a, I'm pulling a search of a neighborhood that has a lot of homes that are just similar. You can see my screen, right? Yes. Yes, we can. So what I'm doing is I'm given a subdivision that has a lot of track homes in it. And what I have pulled is I pulled actives, pendings, closed for the last year, single family homes, because I don't want to compare condominiums and manufactured homes and all this other good stuff. And I'm going to get my results. Okay. I'm going to select all. And then I'm going to do what's in our area, which you can do. It's called a 1004 MC, and most MLS have most MLS boards are going to have this. And you're going to see this 1004 MC market conditions. This is going to give me an idea of what's happening in this neighborhood. So you're going to see here that a year ago we had 32 cells, then it dropped to 12. Now we have six. The absorption rate is how many homes are being absorbed in a given time. And then also we're going to see our listing. So we had one listing 12 months ago, three, four. And then you can see what's happening with our supply. Also, it's going to give me kind of what's happening in that market, what's going on with the values. 
So a year ago it was 660, then it jumped up to 691. Now it's 663. My listing price a year ago was 745, 697, and 705. So you can kind of see this particular market is kind of stable, right? It's kind of, it's gone, it went up and now it's kind of stable. Now this could be seasonality a little bit because of Christmas time. Because you can see that my, my inventory is down, but you can also see my homes are selling 102%, almost 103% of value. Does that make sense? So how long did it take me to do that? Five minutes. Five minutes. You can run this as an agent and if check with your board if you don't have, see if they have a 1004 MC report. Most boards have it, but this is a report that you can walk in with your client or the appraiser and they're like, oh, well, you know, I want this value. And you say, well, let me give you a report to show you really what's happening in your subdivision. Look at, yeah, it did go up, but look, it's stabilized. We, we, we can't price in at 775. We need to be somewhere down here. Does that make sense? So this will give me, I can tell exactly what's happening in that subdivision. Again, if you don't have clean data or enough data, you'll get skewed results. You need to have a good reasonable amount of data. And you can pull this for anywhere. Like I can go in here and pull it for an entire neighborhood and say, okay, I want to see a 1004 MC, you know, for the whole area. And let's say I, I want to, you know, pull out a, this particular area and say, okay, I want to see what's going on with homes in this particular area, this is kind of like, you know, I'm kind of stay within the neighborhood boundaries, but I can run this report and then see what's going on in that market, particular area. And this one, that particular, this neighborhood seems like it's going up a little more. This one, you can see that, that, the price went from 687.5, This one went, the average list price went from 739 right? So for some reason, this particular neighborhood, specific neighborhood is increasing more than that other neighborhood. I can pull it by data. It doesn't lie. It's telling me. So that neighborhood may be maxed out. It's different neighborhoods, track homes, much smaller. This is more of an older neighborhood with bigger lots. It doesn't have Melrose tax and HOAs. This neighborhood is telling me it's increasing. The other one tells me it's stable. Right? Does that help? Nate's shaking his head. So check into 1004 MC in your neighborhood. This is something, especially if you're in a smaller city or in a smaller area, you can run this report. And guess what? This is a great market update. You can pull a Chris DeMacher video off of this, right? And say, hey, just want to give you an update. Here's what's going on in our neighborhood. Values have increased from 6875 a year ago to 779. I'm talking like Krista, right? And oh, by the way, you know, homes, there's only, you know, a year ago there was 30 homes in the market. Today there's only 19. So homes are up, 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 and they're selling at 101.84, you know, 102% of their asking price. It's a great time to sell, right? I'm talking like Krista. Uh, maybe I am. I'm, she's, you know, super bubbly and smiling. And so, you know. You're doing a good job. <laughs> what other questions do you guys have? Hey, Don, quick question. Um, I I had an inspection, and um, then the uh, appraiser came back and said that I could not use the comps that was for a year ago because of the market and how everything was moving so fast. So I just wanted – my question was, uh, how far back should we go when we're uh, bringing – comps to you guys or we're looking at comps even you know pricing out things so normally they watch you stay within you know no more than six months there's times i have to go back 12 months but most of the time i'm trying to stay within you know i start with 90 days i'm looking at time six months but sometimes i'll go back you know a year um you know up to a year but usually not back from that part now in that example i showed you that's a commercial property if I didn't have a comp that was zoned commercial, I may go back that year, 12 months or 11 months to find that one commercial zoning and then make a time adjustment. Does that make sense? And if you're looking at this analogy right here, this other 1004 MC, let me share that with you. You can, you can 
you can show this to the appraiser or your client, but you can derive a time adjustment off of this, right? You can say, well, look, um, you can see my screen, right? So a year ago was $687,000. Now it's seven seventy nine. dollars So values have gone up 92,000 bucks, right? 92,000 divided by my original 687 is means it's gone up 13.3% in one year. So I, if I was looking at a comp that was six months old, I could easily say, well, I'm just going to add, you know, about 6% to that comp value. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So I can derive a time as an appraiser, I would derive a time adjustment. And most appraisers do not make time adjustments, even though they should. So if I, if I was arguing with an appraiser and I said, well, look, you can't tell me this comp that you used six months ago that actually went into escrow in May, whatever, seven months ago, is the same value as it is today. I can demonstrate that this market's gone up 13.3%. So you should at least give me a six or 7% bump on time adjustment, right? Does that make sense? So now you're becoming knowledgeable. You're increasing your skill set. Right? Because now you can derive time adjustments. You can easily within seconds create a 1004 MC and know your market. But if you don't have enough data, the data will be skewed. Does that answer your question? Debbie? Yes, thank you. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm writing. <laughs> a lot of information. Thank you. Awesome. You're welcome. We don't have access to this, do we? You should. Every almost every MLS should have that 1004 MC form. But we have it here and I mean like the software to map out the neighborhood and pick little things. Like I found the form, but I didn't. Oh well this this I don't know what Emma, where are you at, Jacqueline? I'm in Seattle. Yeah, I you had to call your MLS board and I'm sure there's ways to draw maps. Okay. All my just doing is going to do a map a polygon. Yeah. We have that, but so all I did was draw a polygon right, of my neighborhood. I went in there, I put active pendings and close and coming soon. And right here, you have to go back one year. Okay. If you don't go back one year, it can't fill out the form because the form requires 12 months of data. Okay. Right, and then you wanna make sure you're sticking like for like. Don't throw in condominiums and all the other good stuff, just make sure you're staying like for like. You Love you too, bye. Form. What? Sorry. Okay. What other questions we have? Got a few, two more, maybe. Anyone? James. Uh, yeah, I have a question. Um, maybe this is outside of scope of practice, but I was just curious because uh, I, I work in New York City mainly. Um, so some of the stuff you're describing, I've, I've just never seen before. Um, regarding the zoning change of that very, what looked like a very rural area, um, at the time of sale, are they, is the zoning board requiring you to change the actual usage of the land? So you have to do a teardown or they're giving some variance usually? So it's, it's not what the city's requiring, it's what the lender is requiring. The lender is doing a, usually a home loan, a mortgage loan, right? And they don't want a loan on a property that is zoned industrial or commercial usually, correct? They don't want their loan and they're doing a mortgage loan on a house and they're selling these homes in the secondary market. Well, now they had a property that's called legally non-conforming. Meaning when they built the home in 1930, it was a house and they may or may not have zoning at that time. Right. And what happened was the city came in or the county came in and made a zoning change and said, we want this area to be for commercial properties or industrial properties. And so there was a zoning change in some time during the course of this home's existence. Does that make sense? And so what happens then with zoning laws, and it's part of, you remember, your uh, real estate principles, it's part of the police powers. Remember police powers underneath your 101 principles was is zoning. And so the city came in and changed the zoning and now you have this house there and it doesn't meet the current zoning requirements. The challenge has usually if it's destroyed more than 50% or destroyed by fire or some other natural disaster, they can't rebuild it as a house. 
It has to be rebuilt as a commercial property. So now the lender has a problem with the collateral because if it's destroyed, they can't they can't get their uh, they can't rebuild the house. So the lenders don't want to loan on a property. So what happens is what we see a lot is this buyer wants to come in, buy this property, use it for an office building, use it for their construction business, but they're trying to obtain a single family mortgage. And the lender's like, mm -mm, no, we don't want it because we're not loaning on a commercial property. We're loaning on a home loan. But the, the guidelines to get a home loan are much, much easier than trying to get a commercial loan. And so what happens a lot of times, there's two things that happen. One is the agent goes and tries to do a, a regular loan and then the deal falls apart. Or the other thing I see a lot of times is agents really miss the mark on the value. Like I had an appraiser do uh, an appraisal on a property. She appraised it at 400 grand, but she didn't check the zoning was medium residential. You could build apartment units on the lot. It was a big lot. And the, and the homes and it sold for a lot more because the investor comes in and goes like, I can build you know, apartment units or you know, condominiums on this. I want this land. The land was a lot more valuable as, as uh, vacant than it was with this little old house on it because of the fact that they could build you know, a higher density homes on this property, apartment buildings or condominiums. So again, when you're, when you're out there practicing real estate and you start seeing different things on the street, like commercial buildings, apartment buildings, industrial buildings, bells and whistles should be going off in your head. I better check zoning as an agent. Right? Do, you, do you have any tools um, that quickly identifies uh, more recent zoning changes? So if you're working in one area, James, you just check with your planning commission usually, and you can walk into the planning department. Most of them are planning or building and walk in there and say, hey, are there any proposed you know, zoning ordinance changes. There's a lot of money to be made if you buy properties up with a zoning change. Um, let me give you an example. There's some homes um, in my area, Fontana, Bloomington, that were zoned single family homes and they had big lots. And they were just in the cuts. And, and you would just walk in, you're like, oh my God, like I would never want to live here, right? Cause it was tough. It was a rough area. And then the city came in, the county came and rezoned it to industrial use. So that property that was worth a hundred thousand dollars almost overnight became worth 800,000 because the fact that they could come in there and now put trucking facilities and trucking depots and all that type of stuff. So if you are aware of a zoning change, that's going to come up a proposed zoning change. Sometimes there's a lot of money to be made. Right. But that just go to your go to your local city, county and just go in there and get a zoning map. Right. And have a zoning map, especially for like those individuals in smaller cities. It's not that hard. I'm in Southern California. I'm all over the place. It's much more difficult for me because I could be I'm going to L.A. La Puente today. I'm, I'm all over the place doing appraisal. So I got to check the zoning. But if you're working in one city or one area, just go down. A lot of it's online. Just get a zoning map. And you should know your zone. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, the, so you did answer the question partially back to the original question. So I see that you can have a um, highest and best use opportunity on that plot or that, that, that piece of land. Uh, what happens if that buyer actually wants to not use it for that and they just want to, um, like as an example, keep living there? Well, I mean, as long as they can keep living there, it's legal non-conforming. The challenge is getting the financing for the property. Okay, so it's just lending. It's a cash deal at that point, probably. Yeah, it's got to be cash. So I just sold a property yesterday. I just closed escrow yesterday. And it zoned in light industrial. As a house, it's probably worth more at that time, but we got to scrape the house because the house is in such bad condition. The, the fact is that once you can't get financing, it makes it a cash deal, which impacts the value. Why did we have a crash in 2006 and we didn't have a crash last year in the real estate market? Does anyone want to answer that question? Lending. Money was still flowing. Liquidity. Yeah, lending. So imagine if you're going to go out and buy a new car today, if you're going to go out and buy a new Suburban today, and uh, 
down at the dealership, how much is that Suburban going to cost you? 80,000, 90,000 bucks. But are you going to go throw 80, 80 or 90,000 dollars cash on the table? No, you're going to get a payment of 1100 bucks a month. Right? But imagine if they came to you and said, oh, we're not going to do any loans anymore. No more lending. You got to pay cash for all the vehicles. What's going to happen to demand? Right? Demand's going to go down. Then what happens? Supply increases. And then we have a collapse in values. That's exactly what happened in 06. And the reason we didn't have the collapse this go around was the fact that the government just pumped in a ton of money, kept the interest rates really low, which actually did the opposite. It fueled the real estate market. Right? We're going crazy right now with values because of what's happening with liquidity. Same with the stock market. But what's going to happen when interest rates go from 2.5 or 2.875 and they're going to be maybe, you know, 4% in 2022 or 2023? Then what's going to happen? Property value decrease. Right? That makes sense? Right. What, adjust, what adjustment are you using for cash deals? Like um, doing some deals in a certain zone and people are not even entertaining lending right now. Um, they're because there's so much cash available, but in a, in a normal market where there's not so much cash available, how, how are you making that adjustment? Cause you said earlier that the price would decrease if uh, lending is not available. Uh, for instance, I'm looking at some property in Southern Florida and these properties w um, can't really be lended on because of their condo hotels. So um, I would assume that that would push the price down, but actually the prices are going up. Well, I mean, relative, when you say condo hotels, you're saying their prices are going up relative. They're going relative up to each other. But if you compare a condo hotel versus a, um, a condominium, they're going to be difference in value, right? So let me just give you an example. Um, a mobile home, a manufactured home or manufactured home that is um, built prior to 1978 has a hard time getting finances, right? After 1978, um, HUD um, gave their certificate or blessing on a manufactured home. So any... Any home built prior to 1978 is considered a mobile home, and any one that's built prior that meets HUD standards is considered to be a manufactured home, okay? And everyone, all the agents just say, oh, it's mobile. Well, it's not. It's manufactured versus mobile. If I show you the data, and I can pull it up right here, versus ones that are built prior to 1978 versus ones that were built after 1978, you will see probably close to a $40,000 difference. Those ones that are built prior to 1978 that can't get financing through HUD and, and Fannie Mae and FHA are going to be $40,000 less than the ones that can get lending through Fannie Mae and FHA. Same thing with your condo tell. If you look at your condo tell versus regular condominiums, because of the availability of financing, I, I, you know, I would, in the equal product, equal size, equal year built, I'm assuming and that the data should say, hey, that these are going to sell higher because of the availability finance. Does that make sense? The condos, yeah. Yeah. Okay. What other questions? Come on, Yuki, go, fire one up. What you got, Yuki, for me, what you got? Yes, um, I have a second home in Julian right now, and that comes with everything. And it does have own solar, uh, tankless water heater, The I see the value, but um, my buyer gave me like 50 above asking, and I'm kind of not comfortable with um, comp, I mean, appraisal. So what do I need to bring to appraisal appointment to well, get an appraisal it's, value? It's a condominium or house. It's a house. So again, I bring all the upgrades. I would bring like multiple offers, but at the end of the day, it's going to come to the data. We are experiencing a market right now where the, prices are outpacing the data, right? And again, it's, it's, it's going so fast that it's not supportable. It's like we can't support it, right? We just can't support 
the data. So I just wave, I just wave, I tell my buyers, wave your appraisal contingency, right? And I kind of estimate where my value is going to be at. And I want to make sure they have the, the, and we have that discussion. And I, I have a client right now. I appraised the home a couple months ago for $480,000. And I appraised this home and the comps are great. I got great comps. Right? Let me see here. I've got great comps. It's not a lack of comps. And I listed, I praised it for 480. They came back to me and they said, hey, it was a, they want to now sell it. And why am I not here? And I listed it for 500000 and we're in escrow at five ninety-five. Is the appraisal going to support it? Hell no. But that's where the demand's at because the demand's so high. So I have to go to my buyer and say, hey, you got to waive your appraisal contingency. And on top of it, show me your bank statements that you have the money to make it up. Right? The market, the, 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 comp, the values will start coming up as people start making up that difference. But again, I, my, my goal is not here to, my client is the lender to protect the lender. And because people are just, what well, we're having euphoric craziness and values right now, you know, what's going to happen six months from now? What's going to happen 12 months from now? I don't want to be caught with a report because believe me, I own that report for as long as that loan is in effect. I own that appraisal. And I don't need a lender coming back to me 24 months ago saying, you jacked this off. My name, you jacked this up. And now we want to sue you because you did a poor job. That's that's how I look at it. And oh, by the way, I'm getting paid four hundred dollars. Whoopty data to do a report when I just close a real estate deal, make twenty. Right. So my liability for a very small fee is through the roof. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, um, question, do you bring any value to a property if it has all the personal, you know, belongings, furniture, artwork, dishes? Can't give any, any value to everything. personal property. Nothing. Zero. Okay, just the real estate. Yep, can't. They're not, they're not loaning on your personal property. They're loaning on the real property. So, again, I had another property I just did recently that had a dock. Right here, I'll, I'll show it to you, and then I've, I've got to run because I've got to go to one of my listings. And it, I love you guys, but it's 1.65 million. Let me show you this one report right here. This one. And let me show you, this is, this is why you've got to pay attention to what you're doing. So it'll ask me about the prior transfers on the property, right? And let me go to the, the, the addendum. Let's see here. See all this work I get to do for, um, you know, for this one's a little bit higher. So do you see this cell right here? This home sold just recently for seven seventy five. Your screen's not sharing. Oh, we see you. Oh, I can't see it. All right, hold. On. So this home, I just appraised it for a refinance. They just bought it last year, and the and the the MLS shows it sold for nine ten. Right. But when I went to the title records, it said it sold for seven seventy five, right? So I'm like, well, I called the agent. I said, hey, I see that it sold for nine ten on your MLS, but when I went to verify your sale, it showed at seven seventy five. Can you tell me what happened? And she's like, oh yeah, they included the boat dock. Well, I can't include the boat dock. That's a separate. It's a separate thing. Does that make sense? I had to back that out because the lender's not lending on this boat dock that's on the lake. Their house is close to the lake, but it's not on the lake. It's not part of the property. Does that make sense? But they have the rights to this beautiful dock, but they don't own. They don't. It's a separate property. It's not the same. So I had to back that out. And then when I'm doing my comps, right? 
Again, this one has lake rights, lake rights. This one, again, so I sucked the dock out of the property. Well, this one sold. Do you see the difference? Also, 1.175, 1.5 million. But guess what? They had a boat dock. So I had to back down the boat docks up there worth $150,000 And I had to talk to agents and find that out and say, well, what would a boat dock go for? Which ones? So I had to go through. This one has no lake rights. So I had to go in there and come up with this value. Now the value has gone up because they've done a bunch of remodeling on the property when they originally bought it. So I appraised it higher. Whoops. They get to the condition of it. This is the basement. So they've done the flooring. They've done the inside, the bathrooms. I mean, they've dumped a ton of money into this home when they originally bought it. Plus values have gone up. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? So I have to suck that personal property back out. All right. I've got to run. I hope this helps. Go ahead. It, very quick question. What are you seeing in terms of blending um, being that there's such a discrepancy between value and data? Are, are you seeing a, a, a requirement of more money down or like how, no, how, are the, I mean, how are the banks adjusting to that risk? So, I mean, the lenders, it's not a lender situation. The lender's going to go up appraisal. It's just requiring the buyers to make it the difference between the appraisal price and the contract price. It's not really a lender. The lender doesn't care. They're probably happier because they're, they're actually going to be in a better equity position. It's just the data, is, the, the values are going up so fast, the data is lagging behind and, and it doesn't make sense. We're seeing offers and properties that just don't make sense. Okay, but when you, so when you say to be very clear, when you say they're requiring them to make up the difference, more money down. So they're going to lend on no, that. Not the lender. You said the lender. Uh, the, no, I meant, I meant the buyer. The so, buyers uh, are just requiring them to, you know, it's a multiple bidding situation. Hey, you want this house? Great. I got 20 offers. This person is offering me X, right? And I, you're going to waive your appraisal contingency. Show me you have the cash to make it up. Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. Right? It's a, and then that will set a comp. And then the appraiser can use that comp. So let me give you an example, and then I'll go, and I'll tell you what I did. Because agents make this mistake, and you have a fiduciary responsibility to your seller, right? That is to put their interest ahead of your interest. The utmost integrity, honesty, correct? Is that yep. correct? Everyone do this, yes. All right, Yuki, Janice, yes. Janice, wake up Janice, Janice. Right. And so what happens is agents will say this. They'll say, well, I want to praise for that. So why would I go that offer? Do you know how many homes I've sold over praised value? Correct. So I had a transaction. I'll make it real simple. Fast. I listed a price. I didn't have very good data. I listed the house at 465. I got offers up to 495. The appraiser came out, didn't use very good comps, didn't look at the pendings really well and brought my appraisal at 465. I said, you're crazy. I told the agent, I said, look, you agreed and you waived your appraisal contingency. She says, well, I, my client's not gonna make up that much difference. I said, look at this appraisal's wrong. It's screwed up. Here's what, they didn't check zoning. They didn't look at these pending comps. They didn't bracket the square footage. My home was 3,400 square feet. They used comps that are all 2,800 square feet. I'm like, you can't, you can't do that. I said, cancel, the, cancel with that lender, go with another lender and get another appraisal. Nope, we're not going to do it. I said, fine, cancel the contract on it, right? And let me back up one second. There was three comps that closed within seven days of the appraisal date that supported my value. And the appraiser's like, nope, they are after my date, I'm not going to consider them. I'm like, are you kidding me? I canceled the deal with her. We opened up another with another buyer. And the appraisal came in at value. My client's now getting their 495. I would have lost $30,000 on my client if I wouldn't have canceled that transaction and stuck in it with them. Does that make sense? I canceled them. I said, you're done. Go get another lender. This should be fine. You've got three new comps that just closed last week. You think the appraiser can use these new comps and we'll be golden. Let's close this deal. You're already in contact. Nope. I'm like, okay, cancel. Bye. I got the listing. I'm going to make money. You're screwed because now you got to go out there and compete. You got to go run another hundred offers. Good luck. 
right? So I hope this is helpful. Uh, we can do again. Again, it's very, very kind of like not like you know. Hey, it's, you know, it's fun, fun to. <laughs> it's really just to give you some tools and information to help you with your with your business. It's all technical. All right. so thank you, Don. You're welcome. All right, bye. If you'd like more information or to get connected to the Agent Power Huddle, join our free Facebook group. This call was designed for the agents in our EXP organization, but open to any agent from any brokerage. If you're a guest and you're interested in learning more about EXP or our specific resources within the Agent Collective, reach out to the person who invited you to this call to get more info. Produced by the Agent Collective Media Network.